Welcome. This is Daily Power Parsha. It is great to see you all. It is great to be here together. January 11, 2022. It's a Tuesday. It's a day of double good. Kitov, Kitov. As we learned in Bereshis, Genesis 1, or yeah, God says twice it's good on this day. Today we have a very special class and a very special dedication. Um, Sandrine is dedicating today's class in honor of the yard site of her husband Jason's grandmother's yard site. Her name, her name is Malka Bat David Vifruma Molly Goodman. Um, her yard site is today, and may her memory be for a blessing. And she should be, as we say, a good better, which means a good advocate on high for Jason and Sandrine and the kids and the whole mishpacha and extended family and bring, bring only blessings to you guys and to the whole community. All right, so let's jump in. Very special, very special. Thank you. So let's jump in and, uh, and study some Torah, which certainly brings merit to an Ashama. We know that every mitzvah done for a soul in, in the other world is a tremendous benefit because souls, once they've left their bodies, souls can no longer do a mitzvah, at least with a physical body. And, um, and when we do a mitzvah in, in their merit, it, it lifts up the soul exponentially greater than before. This is true with every mitzvah, how much more so with Torah study, which is the Talmud Torah Keneger Kulam. Torah study is equivalent to all of the other mitzvot, all the 612 put together. So certainly studying Torah together in the merit of Jason's grandmother is going to be a tremendous, uh, tremendous blessing to her neshama. So let's jump in. Today is Tuesday, which means we're going to start reading, uh, start with the third reading. Let me get to my page here. So we left off yesterday with a bit of a cliffhanger. And what is the cliffhanger that I'm referring to? Um, maybe we should call it a sea hanger. They weren't at a cliff, they were at a sea. So what's going on here? Shortly after the Exodus, um, Pharaoh gets word that the Jews had kind of been circling around a little bit, and this was per divine command, that they should create the impression of being maybe a little bit lost, a little bit trapped, a little bit disoriented, and that, that would encourage Pharaoh to chase after the Jews, which he does. He takes the bait. He chases after the Jews. He's got his chariots, his horsemen, his officers, soldiers, 600,000 of the best chariots, plus any other chariots he could find. And at this point, he's pinned the Jewish people against the sea. In front of the Jews is the Sea of Reeds. Behind them are the advancing Egyptian soldiers, the army, the chariots, the horses, making a tremendous noise. And at this point, the people, as we read yesterday, the people are panicked. They're very frightened. They're very afraid. And Moses' job as a leader is to lead them into a space of calm and security. By the way, tonight's topic, mastering our new world, is all about transforming fear and anxiety to calm, serenity, and faith. So kind of, you know, Rabbi Wolf tonight, our favorite Australian Kabbalist, is going to be our Moses, so to speak. Right, instilling uh, calm. And that is what Moses was trying to do. I mentioned at the end of yesterday's session that there had actually broken out amongst the Jewish people, amongst the children of Israel, four different camps, 
four different groups. One group said, let's just give up all hope of life and jump into the sea and end it right now. They're going to kill us. There's no hope. The Egyptians are going to kill us. There's no hope. Let's just give up our lives and jump into the water and drown ourselves. Another group said, that's crazy. You want to drown yourself? At least, sorry, no, the next group was also about giving up. Sorry, one group said, let's give up by jumping into the sea and ending our lives. God forbid. The other group said, let's give up by surrendering, waving the white flag, surrendering to the Egyptians. The next group said, let's fight to the death. Give up. We're not giving up. We're not returning. We're not despairing. We're going to fight. If we win, great. If not, at least we'll go down fighting. And the fourth group said, you want to fight? Hashem's in control. Let's pray to God. And what's the real answer? Not E, none of the above, right? A, give up. B, head back to Egypt. C, fight. D, pray. E, none of the above. What's, what is the answer? As we'll see at the beginning of this reading, Vaiso, let's move on. Let's move forward. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Sorry, that is not what we're up to. Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, reading number three for Bishalach. So the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Why do you cry out to me? Ma tetzak elai. Speak to the children of Israel and let them travel. I don't like that translation, let them travel. Vayiso means march forward. Go, keep on moving. No need to cry, no need to pray, no need to beseech, no need to beg. Keep on moving. There's a song, that, a song of a, a band, a Jewish band known as Eighth Day. They have a song called Keep On Moving. Let's see if we can find the lyrics. I think it's Keep On Moving, On and On, Don't Stop By The Ocean. Something along those lines. It's about this, uh, it's about this reading. Keep on moving from Eighth Day. Keep on moving. That's what God says. Don't stop. Don't stop by the ocean. Don't stop because of the Egyptians. Don't pray. Don't fight. Don't give up. Don't jump in. Don't. Commit suicide, God forbid. Just keep on moving. I told you to go to Sinai. We still have our appointment at Sinai. Nothing changed. Oh, there's an ocean in front of you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Who told you that oceans mean anything? Right? To borrow, to lean on the matrix analogy, there is no spoon. There is no ocean. Just keep on moving. All right, let's continue. And you, says God, you, Moses, raise your staff. That's the staff of miracles. And stretch out your hand over the sea. And the children of Israel, let me use a colorful marker. Ta-da! Holding it over the sea. That's my staff. I'm uh, doing Moses here. And stretch out your hand over the sea and split it. And the children of Israel shall come in the midst of the sea on dry land. Look at that. In the midst of the sea, they're going to be traversing on dry land. So the sea is going to split and they're going to walk on the dry land. Understand this. This was a miracle in a miracle. Let me just explain. Miracle number one, I mean the whole thing was a miracle, but let's just call it two, generally. Miracle number one is that the sea split, the sea divides, and there's a path. Miracle number two, dry land. You with me? Imagine you take away the water. What's going to be underneath the water? Mud. Mud, right? The ocean floor, you would imagine, even if you separated the waters out, the bottom of the ocean, the bottom of the sea would still be full of, with muddy and gross. 
Get your shoes all dirty. Dry land. That was the, de- the, the depth of this miracle, was that not just the sea should split, but that, that we walked over on dry land. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, in the Dayenus, on Passover, I think we make a special mention for the fact that it was dry, although I could be wrong. Maybe it's in the Hodu Lashem Kitov prayer from Psalms that we say on Shabbat morning. But either way, there is it's somewhere in our liturgy, whether it's on Passover or on Shabbat, there's a mention of the additional miracle of there being dry land in addition to the sea splitting. Let's continue. This is all what God is telling Moses will happen. And I, behold, says God, I shall harden the hearts of the Egyptians. Listen to this. You would think, let me just pause here for a moment. Think psychologically. Pharaoh's army heading out from Egypt's capital, advancing toward the Jews, pinning them against the sea. The Jews, Moses stands there. The same Moses that was wreaking havoc on the Egyptians with the plagues is lifting his his arms. The sea splits. The Jews walk through. If you were an Egyptian, what would you do? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be logical for the Egyptians to say, all right, we're out. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. That's crazy. There's no way I'm going in there. You would think that would be a logical way, that would be a logical approach to say to oneself, this is the most outlandish, absurd miracle that's, that I've ever seen. A, a seat has opened up. A people, two million strong, are marching through this water. That's it. We're going home. These people are untouchable. Here's another miracle. That's it. No, God says, I shall harden the hearts of the Egyptians. This is the first time that God says, collectively, the Egyptians. I hope you understand the significance of this. Until now, it's always been, I'll harden the heart of Pharaoh. Now God is saying, I shall harden the hearts of the Egyptians. All of the Egyptians that chose to chase the Jews, to hunt down the Jews, I will harden all of their hearts, and they will come after you. They will not say, all right, we're out. They will follow you, and I will be glorified through Pharaoh and through his force, through his chariots, and through his horsemen. In other words, I will, you will see my might, my power, my miracles through all of these people who will ultimately be punished and uh, in, in the sea that collapses. He doesn't say exactly what's going to happen, but that's the implication that something big is going to happen that's going to send a really big message. And, eat, and the Egyptians, says God, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I will be glorified through Pharaoh, through his chariots, and through his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been going in front of, Okay, so one second. Pause. Pause. And I wish there were quotation marks because the quote should end with verse 18. Right there. After horsemen, that should be end quote. The beginning of the quote was here. The first verse of the reading. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? So from why did you, why do you cry out to me? All the way through. See if we can do this. All, oh, not all the way through. Uh, havoc here with this, with this uh, selecting. Right? All of this is the direct quote from God. God says to Moses, why cry out? Keep on moving. Raise your staff. Sea will split. They'll walk through on dry land. I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They're going to come after you. And then I will be glorified through the miracles that ensue. 
which is going to be through the punishment to Pharaoh, his forces, chariots, and the horsemen. All right, that is the promise. Again, God is letting Moses in on the script. It's so much easier to withstand the narrative when you know how it's going to end and when nothing is catching you by surprise. So far, nothing has been surprising to Moses. Moses knew what the plagues were going to be. He knew that Pharaoh was not going to let them go, was going to be um, obstinate and stubborn, and that was fine for him because he knew the plan. Moses knew that Pharaoh was going to chase after them, and that was fine. Moses now knows the sea is going to split. They're going to go through. The Egyptians are going to follow. Don't panic part of the script. And then God will be glorified through the downfall of the Egyptians. Once again, all part of the script. Moses has this clarity. Verse 19, Then the angel of God, who had been going in front of the Israelite camp, moved and went behind them. So now the Torah is telling us, back to the action. That was a dialogue, back to the action, on the scene, on the ground. There was an angel of God that was going in front of the Jewish camp. The angel now goes to the rear, to the back of the camp. And the pillar of cloud moved away from in front of them and stood behind them. So now behind as a buffer, as Rashi says, as a buffer between the Israelites, the Jewish people, and the Egyptian army, you now have an angel and a cloud, a pillar of cloud. You have now a physical buffer, if you will, and a spiritual buffer between the Jews and Egyptians. And he came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there were the cloud and the darkness and it illuminated the night. And one did not draw near the other all night long. Because of the cloud. Because of the cloud and the darkness and the buffer, the Egyptians could not attack the Jewish people. There was a separation. One did not draw near the other all night long. That means the Egyptians did not reach. They got right there, but they didn't infiltrate all night long. This is the night of the splitting of the sea, as we'll see. Let's look at Rashi. Here, Rashi says at the beginning, Moses was standing and praying. So God said to him, hey, you, Moses, no time to pray when Israel is in distress. Right? Stop praying. Start moving. Um, let them travel. They have nothing to do but to travel, for the sea will not stand in their way. That's powerful. I said this yesterday at the end. Sometimes we think, oh, I can't do it. There's a sea in the way. If God told you to go, go. Don't worry about the sea. It'll take care of itself. God will take care of it. All right, now let's talk about the angel and the, and the cloud. So the angel um, moved and went behind them, Rashi says, to separate between the Egyptian camp and the Israelite camp and to catch the arrows. Look at this. To catch the arrows and the catapult stones of the Egyptians. Look at those guys firing arrows and catapulting stones. Ah, Unbelievable. Can't, can't trust these guys. So the angel stood and um, blocked it. Everywhere it says, the angel of God. Uh -huh. Everywhere else it says the angel of the Lord Hashem. But here it says the angel of God Elohim. Why does it say Elohim? Which is the name of divine justice as opposed to divine compassion. Because everywhere in scripture Elohim denotes God's attribute of judgment, as I just said. This teaches us, see, Rashi was a Kabbalist. Gvura. See, chesed gvura, Hashem elokim. There you go. This teaches us that at that moment, the Israelites were being judged whether to be saved or to perish with the Egyptians. There was a big court case going up in heaven. Big court case. I, told, I, I think I mentioned this before. 
The angel said to God, why are you saving this people and destroying these people? Why? You're letting these ones go through on dry land and those you're going to collapse the sea on? Why? These ones served idols, those serve idols also. So there was a bit of a back and forth between some angels and God about uh, the fate of the Israelites. Anyway, back to our story. The pillar of cloud moved away. Rashi says, when it became dark, the pillar of cloud moved away. See that? The pillar of cloud moved away from in front of them and stood behind them. So Rashi says, when it became dark, that's, what, that's when it happened. And the pillar of cloud delivered the camp to the pillar of fire. In other words, it made way for the pillar of fire. The cloud did not go away as it would customarily go away completely in the evening, but it moved away and went behind them to make it dark for the Egyptians. Oh, so beautiful. Listen to this. Basically, the, the angel, there were two things that happened, the angel and the cloud. So the angel goes to the back of the camp to um, intercept, that's the word, intercept the arrows and the stones and the cat. Okay. The cloud, which brings darkness, as we said, shade, as we said yesterday, the cloud moved at night to the back of the camp to provide even more of a dark cover to the Egyptians, and the pillar of light illuminated for the Jews. So the Jews were operating on light, even at night. The, the Jews had light with this pillar of fire to help illuminate so they weren't panicking too much. And the Egypt, at least a little bit less, because they have light, at least they could see. And the Egyptians had, on top of darkness, they had a cloud. Okay? And then let's do the next Rashi. Um, and he came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. What does this mean? Rashi says, this can be compared to a person. Oh, look at this. Look at this. He gives an example. This can be compared to a person walking along the road with a son walking in front of him. So imagine, a dad and a son. So the son is ahead and the dad is behind. When bandits came to capture the son, the father took him from in front of him and placed him behind him. So imagine, father and son walking. Son is walking in front of father, son, father, and bad guys coming. Oh, bad guys are coming. The dad puts the kid behind him. Then a wolf came from behind him. Oh man, what a busy day. So you have bandits approaching from the front. So he puts the kid behind him. Then the wolf comes from behind. So he put his son in front of him. When bandits came in front of him and wolves behind him, when you have both, he puts the son on his arms and fought them off. Look at that. Little Rambo. Little Rambo action here. Similarly, uh, what was his name? John Van Damme or something? Whatever. Oh, who's the other guy back in the day? Who was the other guy that Does was... Does it remind you of Ari and the Bear? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was, uh, no, the bear, we were just running. The bear was behind us and we just ran. Not and I, we just, we just hightailed it. Um, but I was just thinking along the lines of the bandits and the wolves. Oh, no, put a son on his arms and find him up. Thinking like in, in terms of. Who were like the action guys, action heroes of like the 70s and 80s? Who were those guys? Little Rambo. Whatever. Doesn't matter. So similarly, let's get back to the analog here. Similarly, the prophet depicts the angel protecting Israel when they drew near to, hit, to the Red Sea. But I sent the train of Ephraim. He took them on his arms. That's how it's described in 
in, in the, uh, the book of Hosea. It says, but I sent the train of Ephraim, he took them on his arms. God, in essence, took them in his arms and fended off the bad guys. So in this case, there was a danger in front, that was the sea, danger in the back, that was the Egyptians. God, God took care of us. All right, back to our story, back to Rashi. There was a cloud, there were the cloud and darkness for the Egyptians, and it was illuminated, the pillar of fire illuminated the night for the Israelites, and it went before them as it usually went all night long, and the thick darkness from the cloud was toward the Egyptians, and one camp did not draw near the other all night. Okay, that is, we're up to date now on Rashi. Rashi did help clarify some of the, uh, the, the, the cloud and the fire, that the cloud was for the Egyptians behind, the fire was ahead for the Jews, all good. Now let's. Rabbi, yes. Me, Rabbi, yeah. Why would the angels, after God said to Moses, "Don't be concerned; you'll be able to split the sea." I mean, the Israelites have already been reduced by two thirds. Right. And then God says, "I have you. Don't worry." Then why would the angels come after and bring up? Maybe we should not let any of them in. Who knows? I'm going to call them uh, very tricky angels. I don't know. I have the same question. I don't know. These are the prosecuting angels. There are angels whose job is to kind of uh, stir up the pot. And that's what they're trained to do. That's not trained. That's what they're designed to do. These are the prosecuting angels. They like are... Animal souls. Kind of like that. But in heaven, they look for the negative. So they're like, hey, uh, quick question. Right, you're talking about the Jews and miracles and saving them and all that stuff. Can we ask Why? Ultimately, God's like, it doesn't matter why, but, you know, that, that was the objection that was raised, according to the measures. So, yeah, I, I don't, you would like to think that angels would be on board with all this. I, I would like to think that. But apparently, it wasn't so and simple. And why does Hashem need to have this, you know, giving him advice? Why the, why, who asked you, is what you're saying. Who has, Mr. Angel, who asked you? Where are you coming from? How dare you? Good. You know, the angels also caused... I don't have a good answer, by the way. Um, I would imagine it's not exactly how we're picturing it in our minds, which may lead to the answer, but I don't, I don't know that, I've, that I have any more clarity on this. I wonder this myself. You know, there's a similar objection. I mean, not exactly the same, but along these lines, when Moses went up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, to get the Torah, the angels said to God, why are you giving human beings the Torah? Human beings aren't worthy of the, the Torah, which is so pure and perfect. You're going to give to human beings that are flawed and messed up? That seems like a bad idea. So God turns to Moses. Listen to this. God turns to Moses and says, you answer them. <laughs> Moses says, are you kidding me? Like, I, you answer them. I, your question is, and I re, the question resonates with me, is who has to, who? No one should answer them. Who says they deserve an answer? The piping in. Oh, we don't think that the, you should give the Torah. Who, did I ask you? Did I consult with you? Are you the self-appointed advisory committee? What is this? Is this open to a vote suddenly? Am I not God? You would think there wouldn't need to be an answer. I'm not answering the question. I'm just sharing with you another story along these lines. And Moses ultimately says, guys, slash angels, um, open up, you know, if you crack open the old Ten Commandments. What does it say? Honor your mother and father. Huh, do you guys have parents? Right? All right, what else does it say? It says, um, oh, he starts from the beginning. Um, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God. I am Hashem. 
Do you have any question about that? Don't have any other gods. Have you been tempted in uh, idolatry? Don't take God's name in vain. Is that a challenge for you guys? Honor your parents. Do you have parents? Do not kill. Are you guys, like, you killing? Are you stealing, etc.? So none of these applied to you. And his point was, Torah, as perfect and beautiful and spiritual as it is, speaks to real life. So it's the most appropriate place to, for Torah to be. Anyway, so that's just a parallel story where angels were kind of trying to throw a monkey wrench in the plan and it didn't work out for them. All right. It also yeah. seems that Abraham was the only one that didn't argue with God. Everybody else did. Abraham argued, for sure. No, Abraham's... When he took Isaac up, he didn't argue. He didn't. Right. That's true. That's true. But when it came to Sodom, to the destruction of the cities, he's like, well, if there were 50 righteous people, would you still destroy? He was, I don't know if he argued, he negotiated. Maybe there's a difference. He didn't really argue, he negotiated. He tried. Listen, God, I have no, okay, first of all, God knows everything that's going to happen. So God is not surprised. First of all. Second of all, if God wants to blame anyone, he can blame himself. I don't mean that to sound harsh. I'm just not saying that in a harsh way. I'm just saying, you create a being and imbue them with a gift of free choice and a lot of other stuff going on, expect the unexpected. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you wanted, right? You, you could have had everything like in a box and you like threw out, you threw caution to the wind. Okay, so there you go. Do not be, do not be taken by surprise by anything that happens. You literally created the, this wild and woolly reality. So there you go. It's like we create, auto if, if we could, right? Fully autonomous machines and then they take over. Okay, well, what were you thinking? It's like, obviously, I'm not saying it's gonna happen. I'm not saying, I'm not doomsdaying. I'm just saying, if it were to happen, we would just have ourselves to blame. Who was pushing this? Who was driving this forward? You know, anyway, not a, not a prediction, just kind of a humorous way of, of, of relating it back to God. Back to our story, or maybe not so humorous. All right, back to our story with the advanced, advancing of the Egyptians. Okay, verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord led the sea with the strong east wind all night, and he made the sea into dry land, and the water split. That's big. It happens with the wind. I remember somebody telling me a few years ago that the Discovery Channel or the History Channel or National Geographic Channel, one of these channels, had a whole special on how the sea could have split due to a wind. And I remember thinking to myself, that's what the Torah says, actually. So where's the miracle? Who brought the wind? <laughs> hey -o, like, Yeah, it could have been a wind, sure, but at that time, in that place? Come on. I mean, seriously. Right? I mean, it's not like a... Um, I'm trying to think of what would be, like, really ridiculous. Like, it's not like... Um, I don't know. I can't think of something. God utilizes natural forces to create supernatural outcomes. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. Um, another point that needs to be added to this that's missing from the, from the biblical text, but we know because it's part of our family story. We know that the seed did not split until there was one brave person 
who jumped in and started walking. His name was Nachshon, the son of Aminadav from the tribe of Judah. Yes, you heard me right, from the tribe of Judah. Remember Judah, who the tribe, the person in the tribe that became the leader? Well, I mean, Moses was obviously the leader, but, you know, the, the strength on some level. So this fellow, Nachshon, N-A-C-H, Nachshon, N-A-C-H-S-H-O-N, Nachshon. So he, when Moses said, we're going to just move forward, he actually just started walking into the water. He started walking in the water, and the measure says, the water start because you know you start walking, it's, it's gradual. The water started rising, ankles, knees, thighs, waist, right, abdomen, shoulders, neck, mouth. It gets up to his nose, and at that point, the sea split. So yeah, Moses did the arm stretch, the the old staff uh, waving, whatever it was. But the bottom line is, it took it took someone to jump into the water, to trigger the split. Um, a very powerful lesson, I believe, vis-a-vis um, how miracles happen. Miracles happen, sometimes what's required of us is not to say, I need a miracle, but to jump in and to start living with the miracle, and then the miracle will follow. It's almost like kickstarting a miracle. So how to kickstart a miracle? Start walking through the water. Here we go. Then, verse 22, then the children of Israel came into the midst of the sea on dry land. This is the third time the Torah is telling us that the land was dry, which is highlighting the miracle. It would have been muddy. It should have been muddy. Should have been muddy. Dry land. I picture like a bunch of like hair dryers, you know, like the grounds crew drying everything out. Um, they came into the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters, listen to this beautiful depiction, the waters were to them as a wall from their right and from their left. It was a choma, it was a wall. Can you imagine? Imagine walking through. It's kind of like an aquarium. You know, you ever see those aquariums where they have um, kind of like a tunnel? You know what I'm talking about? And you could see the fish on the right, on the left even on top, and it's like you're like enveloped in the ocean or in the sea, whatever it is. It's kind of cool. Do they have that at the... At the um, Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. By the way, I should mention, and Donna slash Dina mentioned this on, I don't know, last week sometime, about um, the festival, right? When is the festival? Dina, remind us. When is the festival? Hold on, you're muted. February 6th, Sunday. Fe Sunday, February 6th. This is a Jewish community day sponsored by federation and local organizations, synagogues, and other. Chabad in town will have a table there. Um, and Dina, artisan Dina, will have a table there as well for, uh, for her crafts and her jewelry. Um, it's going to be a day of community, Jewish community celebration, there is a, there's a ticket entrance to the festival, but, and, it, it, and it includes a, uh, a pass to the aquarium. I'm just mentioning this, just from a financial standpoint. They have a, a, I, don't, I don't remember what it is for, per individual ticket, but for a family of six, like four kids and two parents, I think the price is like $65, a 
which I'm going to be getting a coupon code. Oh, look at you. Well, then sh sharing is caring. <laughs> if you get a coupon code, don't forget to share because it's a great way to support the community and to see what's going on in the community and also to check out the aquarium if it's been a little while, which it has been for me. So I'm really looking forward to this on many, diff uh, many different levels, community-wise, Chabad-wise, and also for the kids. Okay, and so, kosher yeah. kosher food. And, co right, how did I forget that? And kosher food. Exactly, there will be kosher food there. Um, okay, so the water, that's how we got into it. So the water, imagine walls on the right and on the left. Not on top, okay, that, that, th that they didn't get, but at least right and left. Imagine walking through and looking and seeing like a glassy surface of the sea just coming to an abrupt end. Wild, absolutely wild and mind-bending. Verse 23. The Egyptians pursued. This is the folly. This is the folly. Overcoming folly Sunday morning. This is the folly. It makes no sense. Why would you run it, run after? Why would you pursue? It's Meshug, it's crazy. But that's what happened. The Egyptians pursued and came after them. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, they all ran after into the midst of the sea. So reckless. So reckless. Pharaoh. Bro, I love you, man. Do you think that the sea split for you? You can't see the handwriting on the wall? Slash walls of water? Anyway, what are you going to do? On the suicide mission. It came about in the morning watch that the Lord looked down over the Egyptian camp through a pillar of fire and cloud and he threw the Egyptian camp into confusion. That is, that is the first step. He threw the Egyptian camp into confusion. And, and we're going to do Rashi's on this to get all the details. He removed the wheels of their chariots. And he led them with heaviness. And the Egyptians said, let me run away from the Israelites. Because the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Somewhere halfway through the sea. Chaos ensues for the Egyptians. And at that point, they realize they need to get out of there. They can't. They're done. The next piece of the story, of course, is that the water just collapses on top. And that is the end. That is the end of the Egyptians, at least these Egyptians. Let's look at Rashi. Let's, see, let's get a better handle on what exactly happened over here. So first of all, Moses stretched out his hand, and the Lord led the sea with a strong east wind. Rashi says, with the east wind, which is the strongest of the winds. Apparently, the east wind is very strong. Maybe that's what Nussan is feeling right now in Crown Heights. This is the wind. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he should not be feeling this wind because of what Rashi is about to say next. Cancel that. All right, this is the wind with which the Holy One, blessed be he, visits retribution upon the wicked. As it is said in the following verses, with an east wind, I will scatter them. So in the prophets, that's from Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaks of an east wind scattering the, uh, the wicked. It's some sort of, whether it's literal or euphemistic, I would imagine it's a little bit more euphemistic, some sort of strong east wind that like payback, retribution. Another verse in Hosea, it says, an east wind shall come, a wind of the Lord. The east wind from Ezekiel, the east wind broke you in the heart of the seas. Isaiah, he spoke with his harsh wind on the day of the east wind. So we see all these four, four verses that talk about the east wind and the punishment that it brings with it. 
The water split. Oh, look at this. Look at that one. Look at that Rashi. All the water in the world split. When the sea split, all the water in the world split. At least for a moment, it split. Just to let everyone know, something big is going down in the Middle East. Something big is going down. All the waters. Can you imagine? I have a cup of tea right here in my IJA mug. By the way, if you don't have an IJA mug, you should get an IJA mug. Let me know. You can get an IJA mug. Get on the website. Anyway, IJA mug. Imagine you're drinking tea as I am. I think I have raspberry tea. It's a good reminder to take a sip. And imagine you're drinking it and suddenly it splits. You're like, hold on. <laughs> hold up. What? what just happened? And then it goes back to normal. You're like, oh, man, I got to get these eyes checked. Whew, got to get some more sleep. I don't know, got to figure out what's going on over here. All the water split in the world. Just to let everybody know, something big went down. When they would hear later on about the miracle at the sea, they could say, you know what? Legit, my water split also. Otherwise, no one would believe it. This is a way that everyone experienced with their own water. I'm th I think that sometimes happens with my faucet. You turn on the faucet and the waters kind of go different ways. I'm just going to say that's a miracle and or maybe I need to, you know, clean that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Back. Uh, yeah. Rabbi? Yes. Uh, can you point out where it is the first person that stepped in the sea to spark? Oh, it's not. It's not. In the, it's not in. It's not in the Chumash text. It's not in the Torah text. It's from the Medrash. I, I, I introduced that by saying it's not in the written Torah, but we know it because it's our family story. We know we know what happened. It's from the Medrash, and the Talmud talks about it. Nachshon, jumping in. His name was Nachshon. It's just some individual? I mean, he was a guy, yeah. He was a dude. He was a guy. Yeah. I mean, not a, not a, not a particularly... Um, I think he was, like, from amongst the leadership. Or maybe that's when he became a leader. One of those two. Either he was a leader or he became a leader then. Um, you know what? Google Nachshon. Son of Aminadav, and I'm sure you'll find a bit of a bio on him with some more information. But he was definitely the dude. He was definitely the dude. Um, I remember a Far Side comic. Hold on. Give me a second. Far Side Larson Moses. How do, water. NACH. N-A-C-H-S-H-O-N. Oh, this is fantastic. Oh, I love this. Gotta love Gary Larson. Aminada. The man who jumped into the sea. That's that's your guy. From tribe of Judah. Moses as a kid. Splitting. Splitting his water at the table. There you go. There's Moses as a kid. Classic Gary Larson Farside. Guy's an absolute riot. Gary Larson, absolute riot. Okay, there you go. Artisan Dina with the, with the post. Love it. Chabad.org's got everything. You always got, it's, you know, you, oh, that's it. You need to know about anybody, Chabad, Chabad.org's got it. Okay. Back inside, let's keep this narrative flowing even as the water is stopping and freezing. So all the water split, says the Mechilta. Now take a look. Oh, look at this. 
Um, Egyptians pursued, um, and it was the horses, chariots, or horsemen. Okay, it says all of Pharaoh's horses. However, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say horses. It says all of Pharaoh's horse, sus. If you want to see the Hebrew, it says sus. Sus is horse, not sus. That's a doctor who wrote books. Sus is a horse. So susim would be horses. So why does it say that all of Pharaoh's horse went into the sea? Horse? One horse? Rashi says. Now was there only one horse? This informs us that they, the horses, are all considered by the omnipresent as one horse. Wow, look at that one. God considers all horses as one horse. Now you know. Now, the question is, what does that even mean? And what does that mean in this context? Does that mean in general, all horses are one? Does it mean in this context, all horses were united as one to try to bring down the Jews? I, you, that, this, this Rashi, honestly, from the Mechilta, Shira 2, requires more elaboration, but it is interesting. So if anybody finds something more on that, let me know what the, what the significance of all Egyptian horses or all horses being considered as one. Let's continue with verse, that's homework, by the way, in case you were wondering. I'm not giving you the answer, I'm giving you a question. If anybody finds the answer, let us know tomorrow. Okay, now it came about the morning. So God came out in the morning wash. So Rashi says, the three parts of the night are called ashmuros, which means watches. Not like watches, but like shifts. Yeah, that would be the English word, not watches, shifts. Um, and one watch before morning, oh, sorry, the one watch before morning is called Ashmeris Habayker, the morning shift, the morning watch. Rashi says, I say that because the night is divided into the watches of the songs of the ministering angels, one group after another into three parts. It's called Ashmeris, watch, this is what Unclus means, mattress. Okay, we don't, don't worry about the fine, finer parts of it. The bottom line is the night is divided into three sections, and this happened about the morning watch. This is right before Daybreak is when havoc breaks out. Rashi is giving us a timeline. Havoc breaks out in the early morning hours. Take a look at what happens. God looks down. That is to say, God doesn't have eyes to look down. He turned toward them to destroy them, meaning he shifted attention toward them to destroy them. Doesn't mean he actually looked, oh, hey, it looks like I see... Uh, um, I see, you know, Egyptians. That's not, that's not what was going on. He was turning attention toward them. This too is an expression of looking, of looking like to the field of seers. Okay? Whatever that means. Um, let's continue through a pillar of fire and cloud. The pillar of cloud descends and makes the earth like mud. Oh, look at this. What, what was going on here? So the pillar of cloud descends and makes the earth like mud. Remember, the earth had dried out for the Jews. They went on dry land. So now the, the cloud, which has moisture, came down and made the earth like mud. And the pillar of fire boils the earth, and the hooves of their horses slip. So imagine, so what happens? The sea split, and somehow magically or miraculously, the earth was dry, dry land. Then, for the Jews, the Jews move out, the Egyptians are now there. The cloud descends moistens the earth. Now the earth is, is soft, muddy. And then fire comes, the pillar of fire then heats it up. So now you have almost like boiling mud. Mud that's hot, it's wet, it's hot, and um, the hoofs of the horses are slipping. So there's chaos. There's no footing. The chariots are spilling over. Everything's overturning. Can you imagine this? 
everything is flipping upside down. It's absolute havoc and chaos. The Egyptian camp is totally in confusion. Even in Old French, there's a word for this. I'm not going to try that. He confused them. He took away their intelligence. Tumultuous noise. Chaos. The Lord thunder with a loud noise. Okay, let's continue. He removed the wheels of the chariots. What does that mean? With the fire, the wheels are burned. Look at that. There was a cloud that made it muddy and the fire that made it hot and then the fire burned the wheels. And the chariots dragged. Imagine horses that are slipping are pulling chariots now without wheels. And those sitting in them were moved to and from. Their limbs were wrenched apart. Now they're being jostled around and they feel like they're just being torn apart. The whole body is being thrown asunder. I don't know if that's the right word. He led them with heaviness in a manner that was heavy and difficult for them. Now this punishment, Rashi says, was in the measure that they had measured for the Israelites. Namely, that he made his heart heavy. He and his servants. Here too, he led them with heaviness. Ah, so you're going to make things heavy for the Jews? I'll make it heavy for you guys. Okay. Okay is fighting for them. So they said, oh, God is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Um, just as these, oh, interesting. Mitzrayim means also in the land of Egypt, not just the Egyptians. Mitzrayim could mean the Egyptians or the land of Egypt. It could either be the people like Israel. Israel could be the, the land or the people. Same thing with Egypt. Egypt could be the, the land or the people. So the simple explanation is God is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Or, alternatively, it means God is fighting for them in the land of Egypt. Listen to this. For just as these Egyptians were being smitten in the sea, so were those remaining in Egypt being smitten. According to this Mechilta, according to this Midrash, God was punishing at the very same moment that the sea was collapsing and, or that things were being problematic for the Egyptians at the sea. At home, back home in Egypt, things were also not, uh, not too rosy for those that, st that had stayed at home. Anyway, very interesting, an interesting angle on that. Okay, so that takes us to the end of today's reading. Lots of high drama. Tomorrow we get into the actual collapse, and then we're going to get to the Song of the Sea, where the Jews express gratitude to Hashem for their salvation and for the ending of the Egyptians, to, you know, to finally ending that, that experience. A few points that I want to... Let me a second here. A few points to say and recap, and then we'll close out for today. So number one, like I said at the end of yesterday... Um, and as I said at the beginning of today's class, option E sometimes is the right option. Don't, once we mix them with our calculations, I think this approach, that approach, sometimes we, we could set ourselves up for negativity. Sometimes the right approach is, gotta move on. Just keep on moving forward. God said move, you gotta move. So that is, that's the first lesson. Next, you gotta be an action. Or there ha someone's gotta be an action. Sometimes to trigger the salvation, you need someone that's ready to jump into the water. Even though it's crazy, it seems reckless, it seems meshuggah, someone's got to do it. Be the nakshon. If no one else is doing it, sometimes you just got to jump in. And that, that's what will trigger the miracle. Sometimes we have to just start doing, even though we don't have exactly everything figured out, start doing, and please God, the blessing will come. I think we all, we, we've all seen that in our lives, that uh, sometimes... Sometimes we wait until things are ready and sometimes we jump in and please God, God blesses us in those moments as well with the blessings that we need and the resources 
to make it successful. The final point I'll mention, I mean, there's some punishment going on over here, but the final point that I'll mention, the positive at least, is this idea that God dries out the land for the Jews. That it's... Um, wasn't enough that God split the sea. He wanted to make it comfortable. He wanted to make it comfortable for us. Give me a second here. Yes, that is one of the Dianus. If he had split the sea for us and had not taken us through, through it on dry land, Dianu. Notice if he had just split the sea, but it wasn't dry, it would also be okay. If we got our shoes dirty, fine. But he even made sure that our shoes didn't get dirty. That's true love. True love is attentiveness to the details. So the message for us is, most immediately, God loves us, even down to the muddy shoes or the non-muddy shoes. And number two, for us to be there for someone else, to be someone else's miracle, it means to be attentive to the details. To not just give them, help them generally, but down to the specifics. If we're giving tzedakah, let's do it in a way that addresses the specifics. If we're helping someone out in any way, let's be attentive to the details. That is the good modeling that God does for us. All right, that's it for today. Um, okay, quick announcement. Once again, tonight, Rabbi Label Wolf live from Melbourne, Australia, mastering our new world, transforming fear and anxiety into faith and trust and serenity. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the exact details open, but that's coming up tonight at 8.30 p.m. You can join at 8 and we'll schmooze, but 8.30 is when Rabbi Wolf is able to join. Um, and that is going to be an absolutely fantastic event. So join us uh, for that. Next week, we have our concert called Judaism the Soundtrack. We have a lot of surprises for that. Stay tuned. Probably send out information, some more information about that tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. That is coming up next week on Tuesday night. What else is coming up? We have JLI in a few weeks called Meditation from Sinai. And otherwise, all is good. All right, we'll see you all. Um, have a wonderful day. Centurion, thanks again for the sponsorship. And uh, please God, the Neshama should have an Aliyah. All right, we'll see you all. Take care, everybody. Bye.